this is Michelle Weidenbenner. I am your chief hope builder here at Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. If you don't belong to our private Facebook group, I'm inviting you right now to join our private Facebook group where we share our stories, our frustrations, and pray together, hope together, and encourage each other at Moms Letting Go No Spaces. Also, if you want to take a course and learn more about what's happening to your child, feel free to Google momsettinggo.teachable.com and check out my courses there. I just launched a new one about what moms can do. I've shared 11 quick steps. Each video is just two or three minutes, and um, I'm sure that you can gain something from watching those. I I pray that you can. So today I have a special interview with an interventionist. I've never uh, interviewed an interventionist before. I can hardly say the name. (laughs) So I hope uh, you get a lot of value out of listening to this. And um, I look forward to building up your hope for your addicted loved one and his or her recovery. God bless. So today we are um, interviewing Bobby Newman, and I'd love to give you a brief introduction. He helps families save the lives of their addicted loved ones by guiding them through an intervention for drug or alcohol addiction. And um, is that... Uh, business of helping, I guess you could say business, is very gratifying to him. He went from a very strong moral upbringing in southern Oklahoma to a drug-related downfall that had him facing prison. So he understands what it's like um, for those who are addicted. But that, that's what enables him to cut through the resistance and manipulate manipulative tactics of an addicted person and help them choose life and recovery. He's educated more than 100,000 youth on the dangers of drug abuse, and he's helped thousands of people with drug and alcohol rehabilitation. Many of those he helped with their addictions as a substance abuse counselor. Now more than anything, he's a drug intervention specialist. His focus is on doing interventions that turn situations from tragic to hopeful. A successful intervention is about preparation. So when he arrives to a family's home, he has one intention and that is getting the person in the doors of an effective rehab facility. His clear intentions resonate with the family and gives them a boost of confidence and strength. So moms, I'd love to welcome Bobby Newman. I had never met an interventionist like Bobby before. And so I had asked him to come and answer some questions for us. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank and, you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Where, where are you um, meeting us from? Where do you live right now? I'm in Kansas City, Kansas. Okay. And what's the weather like? 50, it was, well, my wife and I went for a walk this morning and it was 53 degrees, but very sunny, a slight breeze, but 
It'll warm up to about 65 degrees, but it's uh, beautiful. Blue skies and, you know, it's pretty nice. Beautiful. Yeah, we have similar weather here. I think it's going to be in northern Indiana, probably um, in the upper 60s and a little bit of the lower 70s this week. So it's really rare. So um, how, how many years did I say how many years you've been an interventionist? How, lo how long have you been doing this? The first intervention that I went on, it was uh, quasi an intervention, but it was in 2001. And I've been involved with intervention since 2003, 2000, you know, onwards, not so much. I was setting up a drug education program, you know, during that time and kind of got called out to, you know, hey, we need you to go get this guy in New York and, and uh, did that. And then, uh, but I've been heavily involved since 2005 uh, with, with interventions. And so when I talked to you the other day, you said some weeks you have two to three different um, interventions to go to all over the country. Yes, I mean, it could be, you know, it obviously sometimes it just depends on the situation. You know, I was in LA once, I, I took a kid, this was last year, I took a kid from Texas to a program just outside of LA. And then they ended up having another family right there in L, you know, two different families right there in LA that needed help. And then I, in between that, I went um, to, uh, to uh, Salt Lake City. That's where it was at, Salt Lake City, uh, to do an intervention up there. And so I ended up doing like four interventions in like, I don't know, less than five days. Wow. Uh, so, but, you know, usually it's about one or two a week. Uh, you know, sometimes you get, you know, you get stuck someplace for, you know, through three days or so, two or three days trying to, trying to get the person convinced to go and get things set up to where, um, you know, if they don't go, they, they go pretty much 85 to 90% of the time at the, at the time of the intervention. But for those that don't, uh, we set things up to where, you know, the family can kind of hold their position and eventually they'll agree to go get treatment. So. Okay, so if it doesn't happen when you're there, sometimes you have to go back and, or the family follows up with what you initiated and eventually gets them there. Okay. Yeah, there's a plan. You put a plan in place and, and uh, you know, that's what the family needs to hold strong. And, you know, there's a lot of variables there that are specific to each individual family, so. So um, if moms want to know about you, they can go to newmaninterventions.com. But um, you had sent me the other day a couple things that um, I just love. Um, 25 tips to successful interventions. Is that, is that something that is available there for them if they go? Yes, they, it's, um, I probably should have put a button right on the home page, but uh, they can go to the home page and then there's an information tab at the top that pops down and there's a 25 successful intervention tips. Okay. Um, and, and also you have them write, there's a letter writing guide. And I thought that was really interesting. It, it sounds like you have um, the family write letters is, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and, uh, and where it plugs into the piece of interve intervening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, you know, the, there's basically, I'm going to go through the five stages to an intervention. Okay. That, you know, there's the planning, there's the preparation, there's the execution, then there's the introduction of consequences of the person saying no, and then there is the uh, carrying out of the consequences. But 
during the planning and the preparation stage, you're planning, you're going to plan out who's going to be there, uh, when it's going to be, where it's going to be, uh, things like that. And then once you do that, you start preparing for, you know, every, you, you know, you, you hope and pray for the best, but you prepare for the worst. Okay. And um, you have to establish as much control as you possibly can, you know, favorably to where it's a favorable situation. Um, not, you know, I might need to elaborate a little bit on that, but basically the letter would come in at the point that where you execute, you're going to prepare the letter, you're going to go over the letter, and then you actually will, at the time of execution, when you set out in front of the person, the family will read letters to, um, excuse me, oh, what? You're still there. Okay. You're still I don't here. Know what happened. But um, anyway, the family will read letters to, uh, to the person because it helps control the conversation. You don't want to get into a banter back and forth. You don't want to get into an argument. The person is more likely to listen to you if you're reading something for a couple of reasons. Number one, you put your heartfelt you know, thoughts down on paper. Uh, then they, they also know that uh, you know, the, the conversation is going to come to an end at some point. So they'll listen to what you have to say. And if they interrupt, because they're likely, you know, a lot of times arguing and fighting and they want to interrupt, they want to manipulate the conversation. This allows us to gain control and they were more likely to listen to us. And then it's usually over, you know, it's not a long letter. It's usually, you know, a couple of paragraphs, maybe three or four paragraphs. I mean, four is a little bit long. You can, you know, communicate too much in these type of things. So. Oh, yeah, I would think yeah. so. And um, so then like every family member that is in the room, does, does the addicted loved one know that that letter sharing is gonna happen? Did they, have they had a chance to write a letter too? No, they don't know anything about anything until the, we're in front of them in the living room. They don't okay. know we're, we're there, they don't know it's coming. I mean, there are interventions where you can do an invitation and you can invite the person over and I have done those before. Um, but typically, you know, when it gets to the point of the family calling for an intervention, it's this, the situation has usually gone on for a long time and it's out of control. It's just very volatile. You know, it's, it's or somebody like, you know, a lot of times it's, uh, you know, it's single moms that are, or elderly moms that have an adult child living or, you know. Yeah. Not child, but you know what I'm saying. They're, they're an adult child, child, yeah. Living in the house and, uh, and it's basically, it's just, it's just taking over the whole situation. So uh, they don't, if you tell them anything's going to happen, then they're, they're not going to be there. They're going to, you know, it gives them the chance to build their defenses up. Uh, again, right. I've done that in situations to where there was no other option, or maybe that was the, you know, based off what I was being told, that would seem like it might be the more favorable thing. And I've had a, a lot of success with it, but um usually the person doesn't know anything. We're usually sat down in front of them and they look and they go, oh, you know, what's going on? And I introduce myself and I'll say, you know, my name's Bobby, I'm a counselor, I've been talking to your family. They're very concerned, they love you very much. And they have a few things they would like to say. Would you be willing to listen? And then the person usually sits down and, and then they'll listen and then we start in. Now, everyone, you ask a, one question about, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody that's in the room is gonna have a letter. Okay. Because, I mean, let's say that you have five or six family members or seven or eight. I don't, you know, you can have too many, um, yeah. honestly, but. Then they feel attacked. 
Yeah, and then it's it kind of after the third or fourth letter, they're going to get the point, and it's they kind of like, yeah, you kind of lose the uh, momentum. Momentum, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, so, what's the most difficult part of being an interventionist, of doing your job? What's what's the most difficult part? The is getting the family to. Uh, stay unified and stay, you know, I mean, everybody in the family and the friends have to be on the same page. That's very important. It's fundamental. Everybody has to come together. They got to put aside any differences uh, that they might have with each other, any disagreements or anything like that. They have to come together and they have to operate as a unit together for one purpose is to get the person into treatment. So keeping maintaining that throughout is the hard part if we can do that and the family will maintain that unification um, and solidarity the chances that the person are going to go to rehab is is very very high oh good so so, so when you say well, can you give me an example of something that a mom might say or do to sabotage that like what give me an example of um, when you say everybody needs to stay unified, will she decide, well, maybe it's okay if he doesn't go or she doesn't go, or maybe she can just do this instead? Does she start faltering? How, how right. does that yeah. look like? Yeah, that's a great example because, you know, that's exactly what happens. You know, somebody gets it. They don't realize that, oh, I didn't know it was going to be this difficult. And we've done a lot of work trying to get them prepared for this. Even I have an intervention course and I, then I go over the, you know, once they do the course, okay. then they do, you know, the 25 tips and we go over everything. And I, I tell them, I often repeat myself several times, but uh, you know, then we pull the lid off of it and everything comes flying out and they go, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be like that. And they, they'll say, well, Oh, well now that the person wants to, I'll go to get treatment, but I want to pick the program or I'll go to a methadone clinic or I'll go to, you know, I'll do something other than what the family wants the person to do. And you, those decisions are made before where the person's oh. going to go. All the travel arrangements are made. I mean, you know, are planned out, you know, that's all part of it. It's all done prior to the person oh. treat, get treatment. So do you, do you help the family then choose um, the logistics of where their child is going to go before based on maybe insurance or um, if they feel they need a dual diagnosis program or what is it that you look at prior to having that decision made? We look at all what, what's going on with the person, what their, you know, history's like. We get, you know, as much information as we can about the person's history, the drugs they're using, what's going on. Uh, then we also look at the resources that the family have, whether it be insurance or whether it be, you know, financial or, you know, a combination of both. Uh, and then we give them some options to look at with treatment programs. You know, we and we also highly encourage the person not go locally, not go. I mean, sometimes people have kids and they have, you know, um, you know, things like that, but that's, that's not the thing that's going to actually change their, you know, handle their addiction. I mean, there's a lot of factors there. So we, we kind of go through it and explain it with, to the family, have them talk to some treatment centers. If they haven't have, don't have one picked out already, have them talk to the treatment centers and then, you know, get all of that worked out, how much it's going to cost, what's the, you know, what's the insurance going to cover, and things like that. And we, we look at like the logistics of plant, you know, travel, um, you know, sure. Like that. So, wow. So that sounds like it takes up a, a bunch of time where they're actually, you know, 
you've got to educate them first on, yeah. you know, the course or the 25 steps, asking them all the right questions. Um, oh, and you have also a whole intervention process document too that probably guides them. So how much time does that usually take on the front end before you actually sit down with the addicted loved one? Well, I can do, uh, you know, I mean, usually when treatment centers call me, a lot of times the counselors have been taught working with the family for days and weeks, and then they okay. call me and say, hey, we want you to be in Cleveland tomorrow afternoon. And I'll have to get on the phone with the family, give them all the information that I have, and then I send it all, email it to them. And then I'll, when I land, I'll meet with them. And so it could be a matter of hours. I mean, I'm oh. usually, yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a long time. It, it takes as long as it needs to take, but at the same time, usually time is of the f essence and it can be, time can be the enemy. In other words, usually when they call me, it's the, you know, it's like right before they go over the cliff and, and I need, we need to get there, we need to get something done. Um, you know, I, I just went out to LA last weekend and the guy, they called me on Thursday night and, you know, I had a plan to go, uh, my family to go out on a, you know, a little, uh, get to you know, a trip, a train trip to St. Louis. And, and, uh, they said, look, this kid's OD'd. He just, uh, they just brought him back to life three days ago. <laughs> you know? oh. So I had to drop everything literally and get on, catch a plane that the next first thing the next morning and run out there and, you know, fortunately, I was able to get that kid into treatment that day. Oh, so, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, wow. how rewarding. Yeah. And, and he's there. And he, of course, he wasn't necessarily happy. But after he got through the initial withdrawal, he's out actually doing there and he's doing really, really well. Oh. So he had some really bad experiences with treatment before. But um, so, but anyway, um, yeah, so a situation like that, you really can't say no. <laughs> right, oh yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's a part of what you do and I'm sure your family understands too. So yeah. um, I'm sure you you started being like, well, let's just uh, grab this moment when we have it, just like today. I said, hey, when can you interview? And you're like, well, right now would be good. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Seize the moment, right? Right. Um, right. So are there only certain, um, rehabs or recovery places that you work for it sounds like sometimes they call you with a situation um and are you able to share some of those that you work with or that you can recommend or how does that work well i have a, there's a, a i usually try to you know i, I don't want to overwhelm uh, the person when they call me uh right. you know there's a i have a facility out in california called inland detox uh, a really nice facility um, I work with another program out there called the Fresh Start Programs. Um, and then there's a 12-step pro program in Houston. Um, and then there's also a program in Atlanta. So there's a difference. You know, sometimes people want, don't, you know, the 12 steps is, I have a great program in, te in Houston, Texas that's awesome. And they are very, um, you know, um, I don't know what the right, what they can take insurances and they, they're very like, they can make kind of make things happen for people. Uh, and it's a very good facility. It's a, it's a very, very, uh, you know, highly accredited program. Uh, and then they, I have another program that, you know, uh, that people, some people don't want 12 steps. They want something else. So I have a program in Atlanta that I work with, you know, so, you know, just, and I also work with the program in, in, in Clearwater that, you know, with the addiction podcast, um, you know, oh. 
so it's called yeah so they they have uh, a facility down there too as uh, too so uh, you know I, it just depends I, and I, I provide them and then I put I put the family directly in touch with the facility and so they're getting all their information and all their questions answered we get that nailed down first and then we move forward with you know getting the enriched because it really is kind of putting the cart before the horse if you get the person's agreement to go then you're like okay now where we're going to send the person so yeah, yeah. Um, do you ever recommend families learn from your course and try to um, create an intervention on their own? And if so, are they typically successful? They, we've had a lot of success with the course. And sometimes this is very informative. Uh, you know, sometimes the family will say, you know what, I think that we can do this on our own. Oh. Or they will do the course and they go, they realize, wait a minute, we realize now that we can't do this on our own. There's a lot more to this than we thought. Um, you know, and the emotions run high right. and you really need somebody to be there. You know, I mean, uh, you know, if the person, I had a family up in, um, shoot, it was, uh, New Jersey at Philadelphia. I can't remember, but anyway, but up in the East coast and, and Northeast and, and they, they had a guy there, a family member that was kind of somewhat not totally disconnected, but he wasn't as emotionally tied in and he was able to go in there and facilitate it all. And he did a beautiful job and they went in and it worked wonderfully and they did the course and they went in and it was like, you know, it was like clockwork. Sometimes wow. the person is not available. I mean, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough gig because even when I, you know, I have a 28 year old son and when he needed help, uh, you know, 15 years ago or 14 years ago, I, I had to get help. I had to have a coach. Oh <laughs> yeah. Because, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, this, even though this is what I do for a living for other families, when it comes to your own family, yeah. it's totally different ballgame. Oh, that's so good to know. Yeah. It's, um, it is, you're right in the middle of it and emotions are just very difficult. Um, are any of the programs that I have a lot of moms in the group too, who can't, that maybe they've already paid for so many different, you know, um, rehabs, right? And they're like, I'm not doing that again. I already paid here, I paid here and I paid here. Um, do you have any that are free or where they can get in and then eventually start working to pay their own way well there are i have a couple of like uh, programs that i know about the situation and there are some programs there's a uh you know i don't know if you guys may have heard of uh, teen challenge yeah um, they they have a great program you know they do have adult you know services as well right. um you know the problem with that the situation is is that the you know usually with those programs they require the person to be willing yeah. So, you know, and, or if they're like a state funded program, there's usually a waiting list. So we wouldn't want to get the person's agreement to go and then put them on a waiting list. You know, oh. so there's some variables there. It's possible. It's definitely possible. So we would want to try, but at the same time, I, I like to go, I mean, sometimes that, you know, there's a situation where, you know, people will call me and we will do our best to help them, but we, I'm not going to get into a position where I'm going to charge the person money and go out there and try to deliver a service that I know is not going to you right. know, necessarily be the best. You know, I mean, I, I try to give the scenario, um, you know, you have the, like in basketball, they have the high percentage shots and the low percentage shots. Yeah. And I, I say, you know, this is the kind of the chances of this working like this is, kind of low. I mean, but I, I'm willing to give it a shot, but as long as you understand that, you know, um, what the 
the reality of the situation, they'll say, you know what, I would feel better about doing something than versus nothing. And, and you know, fortunately, we've had a lot of success with it working, um, you know, even when there uh, wasn't, you know, it was a low percentage shot. It actually went in and we, we, we were able to have some success with it. So, uh, well, that's, but that's I, I Right. I don't want to get somebody's hopes up and, you know, right. sell them a bill of goods that, you know, without them know exactly what they're, you know, getting because um, it's just not, I wouldn't want to be done that way and I wouldn't want to do somebody else that way. So, What is, what do you think the reason is that our loved ones who are so addicted um, and in such a bad place, you would think that, you know, I used to have people say, well, he's got to hit his rock bottom. And I used to think, well, where, where's that? Like dead, death, right. right? Right. So why, what is it that keeps them stuck and not want a better life? Like, why don't they want help? Well, the common denominator for that is, is not, a lot of times the person who's addicted is usually very smart, very capable, and they kind of got in themselves into a trap that they didn't intend, had no intention or never would have dreamed they would be in. And there's a certain amount of guilt and shame in that. And they think, well, and they, you know, addiction is not tangible. It's not something you can see. So it's not like, oh, I have this Mount Everest of a problem to overcome, which is the case. But they think, oh, I can do this on my own or they, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, they don't want to admit defeat. They don't want to admit that, you know, this has actually gotten the best of them. And I'm speaking from experience for myself. Um, and, you know, me, my situation is along with the other people that I've dealt with. But um, and then a lot of times there's so many transgressions that the person has committed against their loved ones that oh. they can't take responsibility for those actions and they you know they 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 actually see nothing wrong with you know you know a 45 year old man who's a raging alcoholic who has a 75 year old mother mother that has, has to get around with a walker and they see nothing wrong with being in the basement and uh you know drinking themselves into oblivion and have to be hauled to the emergency room about 20 over 20 times in a two-year period and they, by their 75 year old mother and they think oh, oh well i'm here taking care of my mom and no, oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, you know, so they get into this altered state of reality. They call it the biochemical personality or, the, you know, the addicted personality where they, you know, they're, 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 the transgressions they've committed as long as the haze of, they just can't, they're, it's like they're watching, they're yeah. like looking at a TV set and they're on a different channel. <laughs> yeah. you know? So, well, and I say after a while, um, you know, the brain is so diseased that there's part of that brain that just doesn't connect to the reasoning side. They can't see it, right. um, which is, which is sad because it's one of the reasons that they just stay so stuck too. So um, they can't, but also I guess so many times as a mom and a dad, we are afraid to let them take consequences because we are so afraid that they will die in of an overdose or something that you know for so many years they haven't had to take consequences so therefore they continue to do it and don't see anything wrong with it but um just interesting um so what um, what led you to this profession? Like, what is your story? Well, I started out, you know, I went through rehab 20 years ago. Um, 
and in 2000 and I started out I wanted to learn how to talk to kids I, I did, was a metal worker by trade up to that point and uh, and I wanted to learn how to talk to kids because I learned some things about the physical effects of drugs that I did not know and um, and so I wanted to get into prevention there was a couple of things I wanted to learn how to be a public to speak in public and because I was deathly afraid of it oh wow. <laughs> And uh, then I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to have, you know, learn that a different. And so that's how I got into it. I, and I had, my son was uh, nine years old, eight, nine years old at the time. Um, so I wanted to, uh, you know, go out and educate kids that were his age and give them the information. And then, so I got into prevention and then I got into uh, admissions, which were, you know, they answering the phones for people that were calling in, Hey, I need help for my son or daughter or brother or whatever. And then I got into uh, actually setting up a discharge planning as far as graduate aftercare. And then through the course of that, I, I worked with other interventionists that I would have to hire to go and get people and uh, learn quite a bit out of it. And sometimes I'd have to just uh, pack my bags and go get the person myself. So that's kind of how I got into yeah. it. Um, and I wanted to do it on my own. I wanted to have a little bit more mobility. And, and so that's how I went out, went in business. I, I actually was in Hawaii for about 10 years and I would get a, treatment centers on the mainland would call and say, Hey, we got a guy in you know, Hilo, or we got a guy in Honolulu or whatever, you know, go get them and bring them to our center. And so I would work with the family and I got a knack for it. And uh, so then I came into uh, the mainland and I back here and uh, I was working for a pretty large facility in Oklahoma. And I got, was thinking about, I was getting recruited to run a facility up in uh, Michigan. And I thought, I don't know. My wife wouldn't move to, she said, I'm not moving to Michigan. Yeah, it's too cold. <laughs> and uh, then I thought, well, you know, I could all, and I had, keep having these people call me and, you know, I need you to go do it. So I do an intervention here, do an intervention there. And I thought, you know, I might as well just, you know. Uh, do it. Yeah. 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 So I, and I have a knack for it. I, I you know, I have to say I'm pretty good at it. I, I, you know, families feel more confident. They feel more, at ease they feel like now we can put some control in our lives you know so that's very reassuring so for them. so if somebody wanted to become an interventionist how would you recommend like what kind of is there a schooling is there some kind of a place do they have to become a counselor first um, what kind of training would you recommend well, you know, I, I would recommend that a person be get some time under their belt in a facility dealing with addicts day in and day out, you know, like I have, uh, you know, actually have gotten people off heroin in my home, you know, when I was in Hawaii, I had a friend of my, a friend of mine sent her nephew out to from Maine, because the mother was very enabling. And so I had this kid come out, and we actually me and my wife got him out, you know, we, we actually had an outpatient program. So we and we had other staff members, and we were, you know, it wasn't like I was just winging it, trying to handle people with, you know, a severe drug. Yeah. I, I was, I had a group of people and, and uh, that we were working with, but you know, I firsthand experience in getting these guys off of drugs. I, and I was running an outpatient program for a while and I took some people. Anyway, I, I just would recommend people that have some time under their belt, you yeah. know, and, and you get, you get into some very, very emotional volatile situations. And, and, you know, a lot of times, I mean, regrettably, uh, you know, there's, some colleagues of mine that are no longer in the business that, you know, relapses, they, they actually were other people that would maintain stability and stay, not relapse. And, um, and sometimes with interventionists, uh, 
you know, it can get out there and you kind of get uh, with triggers. There's a lot of triggers wow. situations. So uh, I, I would want the person to make sure, especially if there's someone who's gone through treatment that they are, you know, stable, real stable, stable, yeah. really stable. Exactly. So, um, so anyway, I think I, Oh, pretty long answer to your question. But. Oh no, that's okay. That's okay. I just feel like we need more. Right. And so we need, I, I, it seems like we need more interventionists out there because when we were looking for our son, I could not find anything like this. And, um, it would have been, it would have been really helpful. And I think sometimes, at least I can speak for myself, we get so worried about not, not enabling or not trying to fix it. And it's so emotionally draining to see them in active addiction that we detach and we don't become a part of the solution. We just try to forget that it's happening and pray they don't die. Right. And just wait for them to like wake up or something. But you know, in hindsight, it's always 2020. I look and I think, wow, why didn't we just like form a plan as a family and intervene with love, with prayer, with a purpose and have a plan, right? But um, I think it's because we didn't know how and we didn't know where to get what we needed, right? And so that's another reason why I wanted you here today because um, I, I want to inspire other people to find help like you, but also become the help like you um, by, you know, maybe making their mess a message by, by doing something to help in the addiction world too. I, I'm going to go on my phone and see if there's any questions, but we're going to have feedback from auditory. So hang on a second. Let me just make sure. I don't know how to do this without. See, I... see i'll just have to look later because it's it's just kind of repeating everything we're saying for now but okay. moms if you have any questions put them in the comments and we um i'll get back to you and i'll ask bobby what those um answers are um but if is there so if mom if a mom wanted to try her own way to inter, intervene without maybe she can't afford an interventionist right um, again, I just want to say she can get tips and more information from your website, newmaninterventions.com. Um, and do you have any advice for moms about how to um, help their child get into recovery? What, anything to motivate them? I have a lot of advice, but, you know, one thing is that, you know, becoming uh, I, I'm trying to figure out where to start here. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like you know, it's had a, my, actually my uh, colleague, uh, Shane, uh, Mr. Leonard down at the facility in Houston, he said to me, it's kind of, well, Bobby, it's kind of like eating an elephant. <laughs> you you got to do it one step at one bite at a time. Yeah. And you take one bite, but you know, it's kind of a weird, you know, analogy, yeah, but it's basically, you know, there's a lot here and you just take it in and you, you first you have to make the decision that you're going to help your loved one at all costs and you sit there and go oh well i tried this and i tried that and i this and no, that didn't work and they did that you know what it doesn't matter it's kind of like you know your car is going to be continue to be not running and sitting in your driveway if you don't 
decide I'm going to get it fixed one way or the other. So you just keep trying, but you, you try, try to have a decide for yourself that you're going to get control of your life and not let their addiction control your life as well. Right. right. So that's the first thing. Number two, and there's many, two of many, but um, decide and, you know, uh, get all the family members on board, you know, and again, don't try to solve, you know, families get themselves into the situation where they're, you know, um, they're washing the person's clothes or they're, you know, oh, you know, I have an unbelievable situation. Well, he doesn't want me going in my room. Well, whose house is it? Well, it's your house. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't want me going in his room. Well, you know, it's, he's 35 years old. And he's living, <laughs> he's living in your house. I mean, he's in there, you know, I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you want to get the person willing to get help, but it's hard enough for them to confront this problem. So you have to be willing to confront it too. You have to be willing to confront the information that it's going to take to be able to handle the problem, right? Yeah, and that, that takes courage. Yeah, it does take, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's, but it's, it's still, you have to decide oh, yeah. what to do. So. Mentally, right. And for some women who don't have a man in their lives too, it becomes um, where they just want to avoid the anger in there, especially if it's an addicted right. son. I mean, it, it can be scary. Um, so I get that. Was there number three then? There's a bunch of them, but uh, I know. you know, the one thing that I do, you know, as far as when it's a situation like you're describing with, you know, single moms and they have a son or a daughter or whomever. Um, you know, I always try to look for extraneous family members that might be able to come in if nothing else. Maybe that, oh, they don't like get along there. Well, you know what? I, but the mom or the person trying to intervene needs support too. Right. So a lot of times when you bring in what I call the sheriff of the family, I don't know why I, I just call this, you know, because the person, when that person's in the room, the addicted a lot of times will know, wait a minute, mom's not fooling around anymore. I can't manipulate mom. I can't bully mom. I mean, I've got, you know, sister Sarah right. here that's, you know, sister Sarah's not going to take any malarkey. She's going to be there. And, you know, right. a lot of times, you know, so we bring in the support group for the support team for the, the parent, you know, the mom. So, sure. Right. Um, oh, good. So in that way, you know, Anyway, there's just a lot of scenarios that we, we can kind of work out with. We could empower the person, the, the, the mom, the parent, and we can also get them to where they're acting in a proactive way, not a reactive way. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, where I'm having to worry about if Bill's going to get mad at me, he's going to get so mad. Well, you know what? We're trying to stop his addiction. And the addiction is going to, you know, if Bill were in his right mind, he wouldn't be acting this way. He wouldn't be right. taking advantage of his, you know, elderly right. mother. No. And, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, and there's a lot of scenarios I could go through here, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, anybody so, that wouldn't do those things. Yeah. So. It's so powerful. I try to help teach, you know, you respond, not, not reply. Like if you reply, it's full of emotion, but if you respond, it's sometimes it's just like, Hmm. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that. It's not, it's staying calm until you can say no and be firm or whatever. But um, right. yeah, once we let our emotions in, nothing, nothing, you can't win. Yeah. 
Um, is there anything else that you would like to share um, before we close today? Well, there's a lot of things <laughs> that I would like to share, but you know, there's the thing of it is, is that um, um, trying to keep this short, but something usually uh, not one <laughs> out of a hundred times people say, oh, well, you know, we've done this before. I've said those things to him for it. I've said this and I've said that and I bump, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, I get it. I understand. I'm sure you have. But, you know, then we, as we go through the process of planning the intervention, they, it starts coming together. They go, oh, we've never done it exactly like this before. Yeah. Okay, good. That's, uh, that's okay. I mean. It's, uh, it's a system. It's a structure. Yeah. And there's confidence in that. There's, there's um, support. There's strength, strength in that. It's like, you know, building a wall. It's just very firm with. You know, I, I totally agree with, you know, putting systems and structures in place where, you know, you A, then B, then C, just because you can, once you have more success with that, but that's great. That's great to know that sometimes they think they have it, and, but they don't. Oh, my. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. It's one of the, the saying goes in the field of intervention, it's that every fire needs oxygen and every addict needs an enabler. Oh. If you shut off the oxygen, you're going to put the fire out. And yeah. Sometimes people get confused about what's enabling, you know, and it, mm -hmm. I, it's, it gets to this point of like the person will walk in and the addict will walk in and say, mom, I'm a little bit thirsty. And mom's like, oh, I, I, let me get you some water no <laughs> you know or let me let me do you know and, and we don't do those things we, we yeah. learn to stop doing those type of things right. it's the natural motherly instinct that you would normally do that mom you love that's what you love about mom yeah. right but it's also the thing that the person is taking well i should say the addict because the person if they knew what they were doing wouldn't if they could look down if they were watching yeah. somebody else do it they'd go what's that per what? you know that guy yeah. what? mom shouldn't be doing that for that guy right well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to, I used to be, able, be one of these to help when they never asked for help, right? So, um, but I, I noticed a lot lately, probably because I'm so focused on um, training and helping moms learn not to enable and what that looks like, that I see moms of adult children who are not addicts, who are always, um, in the face and in their business. And so I see the boundary problem even in that. So for instance, like, you know, how you can have that app on your phone, find friends. I was talking to this mom and she's like, yeah, my son lives in Chicago. I worry about him all the time. He's, he's like 26. And she said she has him on find friends. So she checks every night. She'll wake up in the night and look to make sure he's at home. And he's not even an addicted loved one, right? So, so often moms just put their whole purpose into their children that they forget that God designed them with their own purpose and gifts to go out and do something. But all their, all their efforts are, are just over here. And it's almost like their identity is in that, that child and raising that child. Um, and making sure that that child is okay, that they don't even realize they're not themselves, you know, they're not 
their all their energy is for somebody else instead of for Themselves. their passions. Right. And so, and I've seen that in moms that don't even have addicted loved ones, but it's like, hey, I can't do that because that doesn't work for my kids, right? So, but you know, maybe it's something that these moms will eventually find out um, when they have in-laws and they realize that they can no longer be in their business, but I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. So, well, thank you so much, Bobby, for spending time with us here today and in, in our Facebook group. And I'm going to go ahead and put this on our podcast too. My podcast, the podcast is Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. Right. And um, I appreciate it. I'm going to stop my live and stop the recording.